Thank you for downloading this Hay Festivals podcast. For more information about the Hay Festivals globally and to access our archive, please visit hayfestival.org. Thank you. Noswaitha, Kloisel Legathli, good evening and welcome to Hay and to tonight's event, which is uh, in association with Cambridge University. Uh, Dapping Chu is the director of uh, the Centre for uh, Photonic Devices and Sensors, and he is also the chair of, center of the Centre for Advanced Photonics and Electronics. He's joined by Valerian Meyering, who is an expert in behavioural science and cognitive psychology, and he works for Jaguar Land Rover Research. Unfortunately, their colleague Lee Skripchuk could not be with us um, today. Um, but please do give Dapping and Valerian a warm hey welcome. Yeah, good evening. My name is Daping Chu, and this is Valerian. And uh, we are going to explain to you some of the changes happen at the human-machine interface in the cars. And particularly as the cars now is changing from the traditional cars to the future, maybe we call autonomous or self-driving cars, and what will happen there. So, to start with, I would like to thank some of my colleagues who cannot be here, and uh, the Dr. Ali Oscar Yongten, Dr. Quinn Lee, and uh, Mr. Dave Garnett, and Mr. Matt Prain in my group at the Cambridge, and uh, our JRR coordinators, Mr. Lee Skripchuk, Dr. Robert Hardy, Dr. Mohammed Mani, and Mr. Louis Jenkins, and Mr. Kawa Rinman. And this project is supported by the Cape Immersive HUD called Head Up Display Project. It's a mouthful, but we'll explain to you what happened. And the talk here we organized in four parts. The first is on the car has improved enormously over the years. You know the carbon emission and also the efficiency of the cars on the fuels. But how is the driving experience? And we'll show you the drivers need help and what are the benefits of a head-up display. After that, we would like to tell you Although many of you may heard of the head-up display for the first time, it has a long history of it. After that, we'll show you what we have done. We think what the head-up display would look like. We have the concept developed called the immersive head-up display and some of the human-centered design, the principle we applied to it with some of the research progress and the challenge. Just give you a snapshot what is there. And finally, we'll share with you of the views of various parties, not only just us, but all over the world, think what the future cars, particularly human-machine interface in a cars, should look like. I hope you can enjoy. Before I start, may I ask how many people here driving cars? Wow, I can see most of you. Now, you must have the experience when you drive cars, you feel a little bit stressed, a little bit get overloaded, and you would think something could help you. Maybe not entirely taking away from you the driving pleasure, but some help. So I'll give you some examples we filled. One is the navigation. This happens already. As many of you here have been driven probably with a sat-nav already. This happened for over the years. Particularly when you want to come to a site like this, I think a sat-nav may be essential. Yeah, it's a, uh, so one of the things is you can see you have a dashboard device, sometimes have a touch screen for you to be able to input information. Another thing is, although the set-nav is essential, 
But the further things, when you come here, I know here is a very wide space, but it, like in Cambridge or in London, you might have a narrow parking space. And sometimes, if there's a help with your parking, particularly reverse parking, would be useful. And this actually happening, some cars already installed it. So the parking assistant to help you to go back to here, and in particular, they will have the, say, engage reverse gear and remove hands from the steering wheel. That's to take you a little bit further. And it does work, okay? This is not UK, but the real camera just to show the car can park at about only 30 centimeters left. So it can get you into a tight space. I remember when I come to this country, learn how to drive, people tell you, move how many and turn steering wheel in how many turns and then so on. You don't need to remember it. It will make you feel easy about it. Now, there are many situations which we still have not been able to provide the help you need, and particularly with the safety concerns. One is in the foggy situation. We know in many cases, even the city, particularly countryside, can have a heavy fog, and you cannot see through it. The only way you do is you reduce your speed. Another is in the night dark situation. When you drive it, you have your headlights, and sometimes you cannot lift your headlights. You have to dim it down, and then you cannot see very far. The second is in a busy road. This may not be so busy, because I took it from one of the things we've been studying. On the road, with a mixed situation, with the cars in different directions and the pedestrians by you, and you start to feel you've been distracted by all directions. Would be good if you have the information which can help you make a decision. The thirdly, you might want to see going to a large city with so many roads, so many branches, so many turns, and traffic signals, traffic signs, and the road signs on it, and which one on these things is important to you. So you get overwhelmed by the information. Now, all over this, you have a look of it, but most importantly, we shouldn't forget is you should always keep your eyes on the road. And a split second matters. So you have a struggling, want to look at all directions, but also at the same time, you want to keep the safety and keep your eyes on the road. So that comes with the head-up display. What's the benefit of that? We have a brief list on it. It's easy to use. So when we say easy to use, is it does not have to be on all the time. Could be a button on the steering wheel. You just press it whenever you need it. So it's on demand. It will give you less mental stress and workload for drivers, and give you eyes on the road, more aware of the driving environment and quick reaction time, and Drivers, usually, they feel safer when driving with a head-up display. On here, you might see, this is a sign, actually, with the Jagger Land Rover ghost car concept. Is, uh, this car is not real. It's showed on the screen, and the driver can see it. He just drives the cars. We'll explain that in detail later. So the other concept some people company come out is to say you can have a pedestrian detection and the things when the pedestrian come by, you have a warning sign coming in big front of it. Whether you want it to be like that, I don't know. We try to do slightly better. Now, having said that, I just wanted to go over with you on the development of the head-up display. Actually, this happens quite early. The earliest one coming is invented in 1900, the turn of the last century. Actually, it's an Irish optical designer, Sir Howard Grubb, and it's a major, a major advance in targeting. So it's doing the targeting. How does it work? I'll show you this. So that's on the airplane. You have a cross wire, and then you know where you are fired at the enemy's uh, jet flight on this. So it helps a lot in the Second World War, 
And this has two types. One is we call combiner type head-up display. What happens is you use a combined medium. So it's not the glass on the car or airplane, but a particular medium to show you the information. And it's installed, can be installed after the airplane or the car being made. And there's another one, is the more, now getting more into the stream, mainstream, is the direct projector head-up display. That's, you can realize the image on your windscreen. We'll show you, explain to you what is meant by that. And you project a virtual image and overlay on the actual objects. That's nowadays is a fashion called augmented reality. You probably heard about the AR displays. Now, some examples, this is from BAE system. You can see this in a helicopter jet with the combiner, a piece of glass in front of you, and you can show the information in. And the world first mass market head-up display is a combiner type made by General Motors. And that is from 1988. You can see on the dashboard, during the daylight or in the dark, you can show you certain information on that. So you don't need to look down into the dashboard. Now, after that, there's many of the research being done. One of them is the Garmin. You probably have this. Many people have a Garmin SetNav. They also did a head-up displays and with a combiner type. So you can have several different combiner type of ones. And you also have a certain part now form the image on the wind screen like Audi and BMW and even Toyota did. So they have a variety of it. But it might be, you think, it's easy to have an image formed on a combiner, but how you really form it on a windscreen. And from on the windscreen is through a projection system, project the light, fold it on the windscreen into the driver's eyes. But with the image formed in front of the eyesight line. So this image is not a real image, it's a virtual image. What is a virtual image is yourself, see yourself in the mirror. That's your virtual image. So you can see it through the reflection, but because the wind screen is transparent, so you see that virtual image and it's superimposed on the environment, on your background. So you can see the road and the information at the same time. And that has been done, and the JR has done the things with the current range of the Jagger Land Rover's all range of the products with the research result come out of KB in Cambridge. And that is the result to show you different scenarios. This is the current Jagger Land Rover head-up display on the motorway. They can show the information of the speed limit, your driving speed, and etc. And it can go on the road. On the road information, you might see the road side, your speed and the speed limit. Why it's a 50 miles per hour, maybe it's a special road. But. And you can get into a urban situation with the road start getting crowded. But things here is you can have the head-up display with the information placed in front of you. You don't have to look down and take your eye off the road, and you have the information which is bright enough for you to see in any environment. And so that you can see within the cars, you can show each individual. This is reasonably simple, but to give you at this moment enough information you can get from, like equivalent from your dashboard, your speed dials, or et cetera, for you to do. Okay, so this is the ones currently being done. Now, head-up displays, because of the need, has a market, and with 
2.7 million units being installed in 2014 globally, and the growing to people predicted with 9 million units in 2020. And the important factor is cost, size, and the relevance driver don't understand the potential, but could replace the central stack, we say that, and the patience, the new ways of interacting. But we will touch some of it later. And we will show you the future of the head-up display, what it look like and what we try to develop. Now, of course, the things are useful, and for a big market, a lot of people are doing it. And we can show you Toyota has been doing like that with certain kind of like speed dials and arrangement and with a certain signals or patterns to show what is the information of a certain uh, destination and directions. And Texas Instrument is a large electronics company and has produced a projection of the things like this, try to follow the row. And uh, there's a, a Different companies develop in a different ways. This one is particular because this is a directly formula on the screen rather than over a distance. And the Korean company Hyundai also doing this, and then they can try to identify, see if there's a pedestrian, and try to show you a warning sign. And only that is probably not enough. People are trying to push it further. I give you a couple examples. The one of the things is the BMW tried to provide a night vision. So during the night on the road, particularly in a countryside road, as here the lamp across the road, all the things, you do not really see it, and you can use infrared detector. This is not on the head-up display, but on the side panels. But it's no diffi difficulty to move into the setup stand-up displays. And, uh, the other people as the Continental has been developing the things to try to show it on the road and with braking distance and the speed of the things here, getting closer. And the Digilance try to show a wider range of the displays and on the window screen to show you the more information. Of course, I have to say this is more of an artistic illustration. In reality, probably it does not work really, because if you can think, if the light coming out of here, they all bounce at the same incident angle on the outside angle. So if you have a light bounce to this side, it will go to the, probably beyond the passenger. The driver cannot really see it. But nevertheless, you can see what the people want to do. So we move the, to the third part now is about the immersive head-up displays concept and the, its development, the research we've been doing together with Jaguar Land Rover. So it will involve these three parts. My colleague, Veron here, he will take you through that journey. Veron. Yes. Page and... Yeah. Thank you, Daphne. <coughs> um, so I'm Valerian. Um, we've seen a lot of cool concepts, um, different things in the windscreen. Does it always make sense? Um, that's what we have to investigate as well. Um, that's where I come in, human-centered design. Uh, I'm, I'm just curious, has anybody heard of human factors, human-machine uh, interface by any chance? Or some people? <laughs> people can check me now what I'm doing. Um, so you know that um, human-centered design needs to be uh, intuitive, uh, easy to work with, pleasurable, but most of all, it uh, needs to be safe as well. Um, if we project things on a windscreen, then we might block things uh, in front of what we project. So we have to be careful with this here. Um, what does this mean for head-up display technology? That um, I've put some aspects here. There are many more things to, to investigate. It all goes with baby steps. Um, but I think these are quite important ones. Um, one is visual clutter. Uh, we have something that's called size and distance misperception. And of course, it's important to look at the use of colors uh, and augmenting objects. Certain colors uh, might blend in with the environment. So does it make sense to show them um, at that point? Um, first of all, 
going to explain some terms, VR, AR, MR, um, virtual reality, VR. Uh, it's a virtual viewing environment created entirely by displays. Uh, these days you can buy um, a Google uh, a VR um, goggles, so you're completely uh, immersed in, in a virtual uh, reality environment. You can't see anything outside of that. Uh, then we have augmented reality. Um, it's a real viewing ambient with additional information and enhanced viewing. So um, you augment things. You can do that in the real, wo in the real world. Um, question is, do you need to make it look like a real object, so in, in the highest detail? Or do you need to make them stand out? That those are questions that we, we try to answer for our driving experience. Um, then there's mixed reality, so that's basically uh, a mixture of, of both. Um, show you how not to do it. Uh, I think most of you have heard of the Google Glass. So you have a pair of glasses, and uh, it's possible to project images on, um, on one of your, uh, the glasses. Um, so in this case, you can see uh, a navigation aid. Uh, imagine yourself sitting here already uh, looking at that part. It's, in this case, it's blocking something, uh, not entirely the road, but if we look here and look at where he is looking and where the road is, you do not want to drive like this because I would fall, I would crash. Uh, it's not safe. Um, second, or this is where I go into... Uh, the three aspects of what you have to pay attention for when populating a HUD um, is visual clutter. You can put a lot of things on the windscreen. Um, a status update, perhaps. The uh, fact that you have a meeting, complete text messages, uh, all sorts of information. But the question is, what do you really need and what is really safe? Uh, you need some sort of population, depopulation strategy to determine when you can show things and when you cannot show things. Um, second slide is about using colors. I hope you can feel it. Uh, it's a bit uncomfortable to read this text. Maybe you feel something, some disturbance. Uh, Especially when the letters are smaller, for me that, that, that's more, uh, I can feel that more. Uh, but I'll explain you later what really happens in, in this case. Um, so we have to look at the eye, we have to look at the brain. Um, small introduction, when there's a letter about five centimeters high and we look at it, um, it goes through the lens being inverted, so it's flipped upside down, uh, onto the retina, and in this case the fovea is the area of focus, um, where it is about 1.5 millimet millimeters uh, high, and I've read the book, uh, and that says it covers about 500 photoreceptors that are on your retina, and your retina consists of over or around 130, 140 million uh, photoreceptors. So when augmenting things on the, on the windscreen, we also need to take into account that we don't make things too small because then it doesn't cover enough to actually uh, read what's, what's there, to co correctly interpret things. Um, going a bit further in the retina, then there are two things, cones and rods. Maybe you've heard of it, but Essentially, uh, there are about 120 million rods on your retina, and the rest are cones. Cones are mostly, or concentrate mostly, in the uh, fovea, and they consist of uh, green, red, and blue rods. That those are uh, sensitive to, to different wavelengths, so the green, red, and blue. Um, now, I was hoping you can see this in detail. Um, I thought it was a good explanation. Uh, it shows what happens in your eye and what happens in your brain and how your brain interprets light. 
Um, so light enters the lens, is projected onto the retina. For the cones in the fovea, they become active. Uh, the rods also become active. And then when we go to the stages of perception, uh, we have 180 degrees of, of light, so that's your uh, field of view. Um, a luminance map is formed, and an inverted image, like we saw before, uh, is projected onto the retina, and there are some grayish-looking fields here, but that means that what your left eye sees uh, is not necessarily what your right eye sees. Because of this distance, uh, we have to overlay two images, and that aids us in, in seeing 3D. Um, so the cone cells here, when they become active, uh, they give us information about color, detail, and the rod cells, they give us uh, some value, boundary, range, contrast. Um, so when this is combined, then we see an image. Um, when I go back to the first example, the red and green uh, disturbance, that is because we have three chromatic channels, and when we present red and green together, and these become active, both of them, at the same time. So they start arguing on and off, on and off, on and off. Uh, I want to say something, I want to say something too. Uh, so that, this creates a visual discomfort. And when we design things for on the windscreen, we have to make sure that there is not much or no visual discomfort. Um, but red and green are very important colors for driving red and green traffic lights. Um, that's okay, but if we start to populate things on the windscreen, we have to be a bit more careful. What colors can we choose and what, what is less uh, good to use? Um, going to augmenting objects uh, and the size and distance misperception. Um, what is illusion? What's reality? You've seen that we can make things on the, wings, on the windscreen. We can overlay uh, the lanes of a road. We can do much more. Um, but this, this needs to be correctly aligned, uh, and it needs to make sense. And probably here also, <coughs> you feel that something's not right here. So an artist, Jan Dibitz, uh, created a pers uh, perspective uh, distortion, uh, a correction, as he, he names it. And while there is a perspective, he creates a different perspective. So it feels not entirely right. Uh, this is something that always needs to happen on a windscreen, needs to be perfect. Um, otherwise, it's not right. We uh, use workload, and then we think too much, and then that's a distraction. And then a bit of history of navigation, wayfinding. In human factors, we look at, we first look at how humans uh, behave together, how they interact. And when we design for technology, we look at how humans uh, do certain things and then see if we can transfer this to, to technology. Um, so I found, a, I think it was a pretty nice example, the, the Inuit uh, from the Arctic, they used landmarks. They used uh, these things. So it's, it's a completely white, snowy environment. Um, so how do you navigate through this? You create landmarks, AR-ish. Um, they also created uh, hand-carved wooden uh, maps of the coastline. And I think they uh, use touch to navigate. So the, when there's a, a longer stretch, and that feels as a, a, a longer area to cover. Uh, so you can use it in, in several ways. In this image, in a more natural environment, you can quite easily create a landmark. It's not that busy. Uh, it's fairly straightforward to navigate through. But in a more city environment, you have lots of other things that interfere or that are just there. Uh, we've got pedestrians here, we've got a lot of traffic, and we have 
sides. Um, so <laughs> how do you navigate through here? Especially when you're new in that environment. So going back to this picture, for me this illustrates quite an easy to follow behavior or easy to, to interpret behavior. This little girl follows her father. Uh, she recognizes her father, of course. Uh, but you can also see the footsteps. Um, for me, this feels natural. If we look at the ghost car concept, or can we then create a similar experience uh, by following a vehicle? Would that make sense? Um, that is the question. So I'm going to show you two videos now of uh, concepts that we are investigating that have been on, on uh, the internet already.
give word to Dapping for the next uh, section. Thank you. Right. So now what we would like to do is when you get into the cars, not only just to see the information, but also feel you are immersed in the environment being created. So first the thing is we want to either understand what means by give people a, an immersive experience. So in I listed two aspects. There are a couple other things which are less important in this context. But the, the first is the vision <coughs> is uh, can give you a 3D view and with a horizontal large viewing range. So it's uh, half the displays go beyond your peripheral vision. So you do not really see the edge of it. That's the importance of it. That's one of the reasons people like in a cinema, you sit in front of a very large cinema screen, you feel you are immersed into it, then you sit at home in front of your small size television. And this is also a true driver to develop a large size television screen for your home. So that's one part of it. Of course, it needs to create a sound if it's needed and give you a surround sound for a 3D sound effect. As a things you can see, the small size of current standard television in your home is only half a viewing angle about 30 degrees. So open up about 30 degrees. And if you get a 4K or 8K televisions, that can extend to 50, 5 or 100 degrees on your 8K television. That could give you the similar experience as if you're in a cinema. So probably by that time, cinema has difficult to sell tickets, but that's a different story. Now, so for the design, what we should do? We need to look at where we are sitting in a car. The area we want to use is your front wing screens and some sideways, but let's focus on the front one. So you can see, we particularly put us the right-handed driver in this country. So you have the here, in front of the driver, have a central region, and have a side region, and we have the peripheral region, and then the passenger region. So we can divide it into different areas. So we can get the AR, MR, augmented reality, or mixed reality information environment with a wide range angles and the, the viewing ranges for this experience. And we can prioritize essential information at the center. So people mostly look at the center you're driving ahead. And the virtual image we can place at the distance easy for driver to see, to use. So we can place it, not only just an image, but several images or a change of the depths. So give you a feeling where you want to get to go into. And we can have the depth information arranged to human depth, eye depth resolution. So people look at the closer, you resolve uh, fine depths. When you look at further, you get a much further distance. And also, we take into account the peripheral visions of the people. So you probably know when you look in front of you, when the things happen on the side, you actually can feel about it. And that is uh, probably, I was told, or the things I've seen as cricket players in this country, when they really have a ball fight here, they don't see it directly. They turn the head aside. Let the balls fly on from the side, because the peripheral vision gives you a faster reaction. So you can do that. So we can see, we can utilize the peripheral regions for fast reaction for the warning signs. Getting to more detail, we can get the layout of the front of you with different directions and different images. For example, you can get the front of you with the signs slow, you don't want to hit in the car in front of you, and the speed and it sets your other turning directions. And you can do a selected information display on the side, give you hotel restaurants or petrol stations, your song selections, uh, menus. 
on the warning sign on the side with if you drive too fast and there's a start ref it out to red and many different part of the things and if you want to go further you can get your side uh, screen side screens actually showed on your windscreens and looking to the detail in the middle part you can design it into a different ways with depth information to show how far in front of you and how the faster you approach it and give you the information on vehicle approaching from the sides or the speed of your driving, etc. And this can be incorporated into a Jaguar Land Rover car screen. That's where we try to develop on it for the part. And then we think you can get fast reactions and certain information to jump out if on the side so people can get ready early. And on that, of course, you have already seen the ghost car images and uh, this assistant part is the one way you can realize it because what we have done is we used, uh, let me go back one slide here, is with multiple projection areas to show the information in different ranges so we can get maximum coverage of the space and angle for you people to see. A single projector cannot achieve that and you can get a separate display regions for different tasks and you can get reliability as well. So once we do that, and then we want to show you, you could do another thing, which is also the Jaguar Land Rover's part, which is the transparent bonnet part. And this is, you can see, you, when you drive in front of you, and you can start to show the information, even your head bonnet is block your view, and you can see what's underneath on the side. And that can be done very useful, particularly when you have a Range Rover over a very large wide range of terrains. So now I leave the challenges part to yes. Valerian to thank talk you. about. Uh, thank you. Uh, so <clears throat> we have uh, some challenges and progress. Uh, there are a lot of challenges, um, but we will talk about these. Um, showing the right information and distortion correction and depth view. Uh, and we talk about two types of uh, depth view ahead of displays. Um, so for content generation, um, is that, would you, you want to you want me yeah, <laughs> I can I can also, uh, if, if you're okay with that. Um, so what kind of scenario do we choose, uh, what kind of video? Uh, so we have to decide on the, the timeline, the objects for the chosen scenario uh, video. And um, therefore, we can create um, a hot video stream. Um, and each frame of the video is created according to the scene. It has to, has to match. Um, Pre-distortion is applied to each frame because the width screen is curved. Uh, if you project something on it that isn't pre-distorted, it will look really uh, distorted. Um, and then all frames are combined into a, a, a video sequence. Um, so you talk about the different gen uh, regions and, and how to project for each region. Um, would you like to assist me? Okay. In yep. this one? Okay. I'll, I'll. So, yep. so you can see what we want is to be able to create the contents and with the right color and the right clustering and the information. So arrange that. This is just to give you the example to show and the different parts, how you arrange that and with different colors and the contrast, how you show it and the different basic signs for easy for people to understand. Then by doing that, you can combine them in a content generation flow to get from the scenario you wanted to be in and you get a sequence of the individual images together that you can do so-called pre-distortion. I'll show you what it's about and then show you the correct image so that you can use this to play as a video stream. So 
once you see it on the screen as a video stream, it's actually from the composite frames with the, the contents emerged together. And the part of the things you can see is uh, we have used computer-aided design to mimic the real situation. And this is one of the Jugland Rover's windscreen in my lab. And then we put it together. So just to show you, we really do the job and, uh, on this. <laughs> so we set up on the screens. And we do the things like, uh, we get on the image, you will show some images. I understand it may not look crisp clear to you because these are the images we take from the real screen and with steps. Currently, there's no camera can give you all the clear shot on it. So we just tell you we actually do the image evaluations, make sure it looks nice. And the one thing we measure is called the matrix transfer functions on each pixel levels of the image, how they stack them together. So we'll make sure that will work. And before I hand over, I will explain on the wind screen distortion measurement. So for example, if this is a car, you actually can put a projector in front of the car, project a regular grids to the car, but on the car screen, you can see it's distorted because the car screen is curved. Then you can correct it, and we have done that. That's a real image, so you can get it's all regular square as you expected. So that's a, we need to do the pre-distortion. And I hand over on the depth part for Bernard. Yes. Yeah. Um, so as I said, two types of depth view uh, head-up displays. Um, <clears throat> First one, type one, um, you can have three depth planes between two and four meters of virtual distance, so that's two to four meters uh, in front of you. Um, packaging is uh, quite important for uh, the automotive industry because uh, as you might have seen, or as I will explain, the unit is in front of your steering wheel. Uh, you have something called the cluster, that's where you can normally read your speed, how much fuel you have left. And then there's a, a massive system with mirrors behind that. Um, normally, if you want to make the image bigger, you also have to make the mirrors bigger, which means uh, the system is bigger. It increases in volume. Um, but it can't really increase that much because there's no space. So what do you do? Um, we focused on, on the race, focusing sharply, reducing uh, the blurriness. Um, so that makes it better to read. Um, increasing the pixel density, it all adds to improving the image quality and therefore it feels more natural, less uh, visual discomfort. Um, and then a comparable field of view as the conventional HUDs. Um, this is a comparison, comparison between an uh, LED-based projection and a laser-based uh, projection. And in the next video, uh, I'll show you an example of how this type of uh, HUD can, can work uh, in, in a real ve vehicle. So we see a roundabout icon getting close. And you notice it goes in steps. So our steps, good to interpret, is that, does it feel natural? Um, that's one of the human factor uh, questions. Um, you also have seen the road markings or the lane markings indicating that there is a lane. And you might have seen that as it takes a lot of steps to involve a very intuitive natural system, uh, there's also an aspect where you have to map the content correctly on the road. So you go over bumps, and especially the, the Range Rovers, the, the, the bigger cars, they're very uh, comfortable, uh, good suspension, but you bounce a bit. So, and the bouncing can be seen on the windscreen, and, and that needs to be corrected as well to, to make it feel more natural. So the next HUD type, um, field of view, uh, which is higher than most of the conventional head of displays, uh, and there's a continuous depth perception between two and four meters. Uh, it's more compact, 
and um, the rays also focus sharply, reducing blurriness and increasing pixel density. Um, we tried to show it to you. It's really difficult to make pictures of, of head-up display uh, because of the brightness, and the camera is not always that good to, to do this. Uh, but this one is blurrier uh, than, than this picture. Uh, and you can't really see that here, but it, it creates the, the perception of depth. So in the next video, there's a, a, a bit more natural flowness of, the, uh, of an icon. That's already something different, and, and for me, it's telling me, okay, this is this feels more natural because it's slowly coming towards you instead of steps. Uh, but there's still a lot to do, um, and especially uh, for the future. Uh, what what does that mean for an immersive HUD? So I'll give word again to Yaping. Uh, Thank you. Right, I know that the time is uh, up, so we'll do it uh, in a way uh, quickly. So I'm going to talk about the two parts. Is the immersive hat is uh, for the future, we will need it. And uh, we'll introduce the coming of the self-driving cars, show you a few slides of what people have done, and what does the future car needs and look like, and then see how the human machine interface will blend into it. Self-driving is a leap of faith. Yeah? So the moment you take your hands off the driving wheel, you have to put the trust in it. But it does work, I can assure you. And a lot of people are doing that. This is a Chinese company, by the way, it's the largest like uh, Google in China and doing this. And uh, Bosch is a car components developed. They provide the components for like Audi, BMW, Mercedes, you name it. And they have their future cars, uh, self-driving cars concept, and they show the things what they look like. They actually more focused on the dashboard itself. And, uh, and with some maybe combiners parts, and they lift it up. You can see they have a lot of gadgets there. And uh, they also push it slightly further, see, in the cars, if you don't, you can hands off, you can start to get video communications or talking to people in that way, which you normally don't do. And French people get into it, Citroen have this concept with the hands off here, and the Tesla, of course, you heard the electrical cars, they have it like that, big iPad, but the concept here is still based on the current steering wheel, and so, this is uh, Tesla's Model 3. They move on to the head-up displays. They start to show they want to have the information in front of you. And uh, Volvo has this concept. So you can have it. So you can have a hands-off. You can start to use it and uh, to have the things lowered on the side, uh, have the things you can show. And the UK have a consortium. UK would like people sitting in the car like that, more reading, I think, more suitable for the Hay Festival. And <laughs> Google has been doing that for many years. You probably heard from the Google a time ago. So this more on the go back to the technology side, you need to collect all the informations. This is a laser scanner on the top with a GPS for the locations, with the position sensors, radar in the front, and the displays on the side, etc. So you can sense the environment. So the environment in what way? When you drive it, of course you want to know what the car in front of you, who is approaching from back, and road sign, you can read it. Now cars can read the road sign and know the speed limit, all the things, we can do that. And you can do it with even for the mapping it out, what's in front of you with a large environment like the Mapping, so this is the car mapping in all around, and uh, to recognize which one is pedestrian, which one is the tree, or the things you can hit or you cannot hit. And uh, this is the Google Cars concept. 
one of the trends I want to show you is a lot of people develop these miniature cars. So that's one. You can get a very small one. And it's not only one. I'll show you a series. There's a General Motors one. So you get that, and you open it up. And this is Hitachi's one. The Japanese like doing that way. And Jaguar Land Rover has a range of the different types, from the small one to the larger ones. And that was a, a folder in there. And, mm. and uh, I think a Tata. That's a Tata and the Range Rover. And this is the new concept. And of course, British have the UK roots called the Pathfinder port with this size of the things. Of course, even further, I think this is probably good for even more people to work on it. But having said that, I wanted to go back to see what I needed inside of self-driving car. So if you are in, sitting in the car, you are not going to drive, what are you going to do? So there's a few things we you know, see. On a normal trip, there will be a minimum difference between the driver and the passengers. Yeah, so. And the real-time information feeding, you want to have that. And you want maximum use of available inter internal surface for information. So that's only a small area. And you want to have an immersive ambient for realistic experience. If you can get a 360-degree view and the 3Ds and with interaction, it would be even better. And we have the AR, VRs with outside the world. Of course, you need to be prepared for the emergency situation, which means the human driver can take over. I think I don't know how long people really decide the human driver is actually less safer than the computer driver. Or the, some people see. The accident is due to human driver, not due to the computer. But I leave that for you to consider. So you want to have essential information and the human-machine interface to take it over, because safety is the first. So it's really, say, who is the boss here, <laughs> right? And then make it more serious. This is a reverse parking assistant by a BMW 7 Series, and that's what happened. So the people have to come out from here. So you really wanted to judge in different situations. Now, something remains the same. One is the future car remains to be a similar form factor, I think, for various reasons. This is a list I prepared. First is the existing infrastructure. The road is this wide. And so the parking space already being located, you change the road, the size, all the things cost you a lot more. And the individual need to go to different destinations at the different times, that will remain. And the travel in the cold weather and the raining season means you probably want to get yourself covered. And even further, the speed of the cars will remain pretty much less than the light speed, <laughs> right? That means that because the technology has not been developed, we have not a teletransportation, we have a safety concerns, and we also have the human body physical endurance. Not everybody is astronauts. You cannot accelerate that fast. What that gives you is you still take a finite period of traveling time, hours, in an enclosed environment. I'm sure when you travel to this side, some of you travel a few hours. Yeah? And the need for information and entertainment is unchanged. So you're sitting there, you need. So I'll give you some of the effort being made or predicted by different companies before the end of this talk. One is by Rolls-Royce. I think for the last and this generation, Rolls-Royce means for this, mostly. For you get a wedding, get a nice wedding car, and it's all nice. This is what they say in the future. What does this look like? And how it's opened up, so you, can, you don't need a band in, you can walk in it. And they even consider the luggage space on that. And this is the future car on the Mercedes. And they have designed with a principle, is they will kill pedestrians before its passengers. So that's how they prioritize it. Again, that's open for debate. But that 
that's opened up. There are people probably less posh, so they bend in, get into the car. But you can see inside the car, they have a comfortable seats. They start to show the displays on all available spaces. And make it more, you can turn it around the seat. So if you are not driving, why do you have to face front, right? You can turn it around. So you can have the meetings or doing the things. That and last, there's a Bentley. And the Bentley, of course, already start to sit like this. So you can turn it around and sit in the car. But what else do you need? If you can own a Bentley, probably you need a holographic butler. <laughs> Thank you very much. Thank you.